If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? The stockings are hung, Holy One, but not with much care. The kids put the ornaments on the tree, but we haven't had time to properly rearrange them so that everything looks just so. And let's not talk about what is still left on the to-do list. Store-bought cookies for the office party, it is. We are skidding in sideways to Christmas, God, and it's not lost on us that we may not exactly be modeling the reason for the season in all the ways you'd hoped we would. But we did find a moment to light the third candle of Advent, even if it was the night before we lit the fourth one. And when we pulled into the driveway yesterday, instead of getting inside as fast as we could, we went next door and caroled the neighbor. And, and we managed to cherish the faces smiling up at us from the Christmas cards that came today without worrying that ours are still not in the mail. Be with us, Holy One, as we remember that we don't have to be perfect to get it absolutely right. We pray in the name of Jesus, whose arrival was greeted with light, singing, and smiling faces, and it was enough. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women! and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For the Lord has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely, 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. The Lord's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. The Lord has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. All Advent long, all Advent long, we've been hearing from the men, male voices, all. The first Sunday of Advent, it was Jesus himself and his apocalyptic speech about people fainting from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, followed by his instructions to stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then the second Sunday of Advent, we listened when Zachariah's tongue was loosed and he became a prophet of a different story. And last week, the third Sunday of Advent, it was John the Baptist's turn. Share, be fair, don't bully. Please tell me it's coming back to you. (laughs) This week, though, it's just us girls. Mary and Elizabeth. The Gospel of Luke does this more often than the other Gospels, add women, that is. Matthew barely acknowledges that someone with a uterus was required in order to get the Christ child earthside. You can go back and read it. But Luke, Luke includes and highlights many women in his telling of the good news. Thirteen women appear in the Gospel of Luke and nowhere else. He bookends his Gospel with women, opening the story we read today with Elizabeth and Mary, and closing with the gaggle of women who were first to witness the resurrection. Of course, Throwing more women into the mix doesn't mean that Luke's gospel doesn't have its fair share of sexism and misogyny. Catholic feminist theologian Dr. Mary Hunt has referred to this strategy in regards to sexism in the church as add women and stir. But to place a woman in leadership in a patriarchal system and not change the structure, the norms, the theologies, the practice, nor any other aspect of the system, but to allow a woman in leadership does not necessarily result in a significant change in impact upon most women in a given system. To add women and stir, or to add any demographic and stir, is important, but does not quite get to the liberating work of God. It may satisfy for a while, but replacing the people without changing the system doesn't ultimately serve the well-being of anyone. For instance, as a woman, Mary, not the man to whom she was betrothed, would be punished for the pregnancy 
outside of marriage. She faced potential stoning, not him. She faced divorce, not him. And it would have rendered her, not him, destined for starvation, for she would have had little to no economic support. But reversing it all so that men face those consequences instead of women wouldn't have fixed anything. It would have just replaced one character for another without changing the terrible system. Which is why the message of Mary's song itself is so important. Some argue for a reading of this text as God's great reversal, what is low is brought up, what is high is brought down, so their positions are exchanged. But that doesn't really seem to be what's going on. As Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas explains, Mary sings not about a reversal, but about equity. That is, about an even-handed fairness where all are considered equal and rendered equal one to another, so that the last will be first and the first will be last, because in the end, such hierarchical distinctions of inequality will not exist. So essentially, the first and the last will be the same. All will receive justice and equitable treatment. It's not about making the poor rich or about making the rich poor. It is not about practicing retributive justice, but instead about throwing out all the forms of destruction that keep anyone from flourishing, greed, corruption, consumerism. God sends the rich and perhaps the middle class away empty-handed because they already have enough or perhaps too much. Those living in poverty are filled with good things because they need those good things. Mary sings about systemic change. It's a, a song of revolution, of not just replacing one for another, but overhauling the system. The song's historical context locates Mary in the midst of Roman oppression of the Jewish people, when taxes and tributes were high, when political uprisings occurred regularly and were crushed utterly. Mary would have known the stories of, and perhaps seen with her own eyes, the towns that were burned and sacked, her people who were killed and enslaved, the hundreds and thousands that the Roman soldiers crucified along roads and against city walls. King Herod and Emperor Augustus were murderous tyrants, men of enormous wealth and power. When Mary speaks of the lowliness of God's servant, she is not only referring to her own life as a woman, but to herself as an exemplar of the lowly status of her people Israel in the past and in her present. Hers is a deeply political speech full of prophetic rage against the ruling powers and also in the faith of the liberating work of God. Mary's descriptions are a combination of historical description, her present reality, and an eschatological hope. She moves from using me and my to speaking in the plural, 
Mary will not allow us to think of individual salvation apart from turning the power structures of the world on their heads. As the beginning of the Magnificat that focused on the reversal of Mary's situation cannot be separated from the latter portion that focused on the upending of systems of power, our salvation too is part and parcel of the saving of the world. If you are thinking that this sounds very much like the word we heard from John the Baptist last week, where do you think he got it from? from Mary, his older second cousin. In fact, all of those speeches and declarations and prophecies that we heard over the last three weeks from Jesus and Zechariah and John the Baptist, all of them, all of them came after Mary's song. And of course, we can connect the dots farther back than that. Mary's song came after the unconditional welcome from her cousin Elizabeth, who you know I consider to be the patron saint of the United Church of Christ, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey. You are welcome here. It is scary to think what would have become of Mary had Elizabeth sent her away to a home for unwed mothers instead of putting out fresh sheets on the bed and setting an extra place at the table. Only when Mary was welcomed into Elizabeth's home did she start singing. Elizabeth's hospitality was the first domino. It allowed Mary to find her voice, which Zachariah overheard in his time of silence which was the next domino, for when he could speak, Zechariah prophesied that all was not lost, that we would be guided in the ways of peace. And that lullaby, that lullaby which Zechariah sang over his infant son, John, settled into that baby's bones. And he eventually grew up to be the voice in the wilderness who preached a message that inspired the crowds to ask, what then shall we do? And we mustn't forget who was in that crowd. Jesus was in that crowd, also there to be baptized, which then led to a ministry that was the embodiment of the song his own mother sang, the lowly lifted out of exclusion and isolation, the rich told that they do not have special privileges and comfort for all who mourn. This progression of events, this passing of the baton from Mary to Zechariah to John the Baptist to Jesus, well, of course it hasn't stopped. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And, and while we can't possibly name all of the people who said yes to the movement of God in the world, we surely can name among them Bell Hooks, born Gloria Jean Watkins, who died last week. Bell Hooks was a black feminist who helped push feminism beyond its white, middle-class worldview to include the voices of black and working-class women. Though her childhood in a semi-rural South exposed her to vicious examples of white supremacy, her tight-knit black community in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, showed her the, possible, uh, the possibility of resistance from the margins 
of finding community among the oppressed and drawing power from those connections. You can hear the echoes of the Magnificat in Bell Hook's writing. I am often struck, she wrote, by the dangerous narcissism fostered by spiritual rhetoric that pays so much attention to individual self-improvement and so little to the practice of love within the context of community. This legacy, this long line of faith we stand in, it's enough to make us wonder who is waiting for us to welcome them in, to make us wonder who is listening to the words we speak about hope and the future, to make us wonder who is watching as we minister in the name of the one who taught us how to pray, to work, and to love God and neighbor. These are not hypothetical wonderings, of course. There are people knocking on our door, even now. The families in Afghanistan seeking refuge here, we must as clearly as possible do our best impression of Elizabeth to welcome them with such joy that they are immediately put at ease for they can surely hear the Oklahoma GOP calling them terrorists attempting to pull the welcome mat back inside so we must be more enthusiastic more insistent that these families come on in we must do exactly as Elizabeth did and clean out our dresser drawers so that they have somewhere to put their clothes and get them fresh linen so that they have a place to rest their heads. And years from now, years from now, may we have welcomed them in such a way that they will say it indeed made all the difference, that the hospitality they experienced allowed them to find their footing and their voice. And we must fill the hungry with good things, showing up for our neighbors at the Homeless Alliance, keeping those $2 in the cup holder in the car so we're ready to buy the latest curbside chronicle and thereby actively participate in empowering people, creating employment opportunities and building community, which has much more impact on ending homelessness than anything else because it's about equity. There's work to do around abolishing the death penalty and accounting for the histories of oppression, implicit bias, individual circumstances, and social privileges that continue to impact us all. This is the work of Advent Church. The light of the world will be here soon it's our time, it's our turn to prepare the way. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. 
Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 10 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.